Thank you for tuning in. We trust you will feel encouraged, uplifted, and inspired to build God's kingdom with us. Enjoy the message. All right, we're carrying on with our series on the book of James, and we're in chapter 3, verse 13 to 18 this morning. How did taming your tongue go last week? Did you control your tongue? Uh, no shouting at the referee yesterday, yeah? I see as I look, there's a couple of you that also slept in your Springbok jersey last night. Well done. That's hardcore commitment. And um, this morning we're carrying on with another theme. Uh, last week I said to you that we don't often think about what we say. We don't often realize that the greatest sin in our life is in our words, in what we say. And um, it, it, we often think that it's got to do with our actions. And this morning is another topic which we don't think so much about. Um, but I want to show you again, as James takes us through it, that it's so important in our lives. The topic this morning is wisdom. James starts in verse 13, and he asks this question. He says, who amongst you is wise or understanding? And that's the question that I'd like to start with this morning. Do you believe that you are wise and understanding? That question probably needs to be posed to your spouse or your friends or your kids. They'll give us a more accurate indication because research has shown us, tells us that people think that they are more wise, in general, people think that they are more wise than their spouses, friends, or colleagues. Which means that you and I probably think that our spouses, friends, or colleagues are a bit duller than us. So, um, is that true? If I had to ask you this morning, how wise are you? The question is, what criteria do you use? What's the criteria to say that I'm wise? Is it because you're old and wise? I've seen many dumb old people. Can't be age. Is it because you hold a high position in government or in, 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 in the corporate life or in society? We've seen some really stupid things happen both people with high positions. No wisdom. Maybe it's because you're well educated. What is the criteria for wisdom? James asks this question, he says, how many of you, or do you think that you are wise? And that's the question I would like you to ponder on this morning, and really, how do you know when you are wise? The truth is, we all want wisdom. <laughs> that's true. I mean, intuitively, we know that wisdom is probably going to help us in our lives. That if we're wise, we'll have happier lives, more fulfilled lives, peace in our lives, joy in our lives. And intuitively, it sits in our hearts and we, we know that to be true. But the Bible tells us that wisdom is the most valuable commodity in this world. Proverbs 16, 16 says, How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Proverbs 8.11 says, For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with it. You see, we live in a world where the worldly wisdom, the wisdom of this world, tells us that money is the most important commodity in this world. That if you have money and wealth, that you will have peace and joy and happiness, and you can solve all life's problems because you've got money. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible says that the most Valuable commodity in your life and my life in this world is wisdom. It's an interesting concept because how often do we think about how much we need wisdom in our lives? Wisdom is important and valuable because 
Did you know that you make 35,000 decisions every day? And you thought, and you always tell your spouse, you never make a decision. Well, they make 35,000 decisions in a day. They tell us that, ladies, most of your decisions are around the way you look, what you wear, your makeup, all those kind of things. Gents, don't laugh at that because most of your decisions are about what you eat. <laughs> but you see, wisdom is so valuable because for every decision you make, you need wisdom. For the 35,000 times you stop in the day and we have to make a decision about something, if you have wisdom, it will dramatically change your life. But you see, we make all these decisions without even thinking about it most of the time. There's three types of decisions that we generally will make, and that is factual decisions. That means the facts dictate what I should decide. If I've got 200 rand in my pocket and I need to put petrol in my car, the fact is I've got 200 rand. So my decision is how much of that 200 rand do I put in? It's factual. The other one is moral, moral decisions, right or wrong decisions. Should I tell my boss that I've finished all my work so I can go home early, but I haven't? What's right, what's wrong? What's the moral decision here? The third set of decisions that we make are what we call wisdom-related decisions. It means there's no right or wrong, there's no facts that can guide you. It's really just around your own wisdom. Decisions like who should you marry? What career should you take? Where should you live? Should you immigrate or not? Should you support the box or the palms? Mr. and Mrs. Gardner in the back there. You see, it's these decisions, and I hope you have seen just as I've listed them, these are the big decisions. These are the decisions that impact our lives. It's those decisions that we really need wisdom. It's those decisions where wisdom will bring peace and joy. But foolishness is going to bring brokenness and instability and confusion. I think we can all this morning say that we've experienced where we've made wise decisions in those. And the result of that, and when we've made foolish decisions, and the result of that. I'm hoping this morning to just, just spark something in your heart and in your mind around how important it is to have wisdom in your life. How important it is to allow wisdom to direct your decisions and your thinking and the actions that you take. Because we do face 35,000 decisions a day. And how much different would your life be if you let God's wisdom guide you? James teaches in James 3, 13 to 18, and you can turn there. And we'll read it together. He asks this question, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast or be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but this is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure. Then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is, is sown in peace by those who make peace. The first point this morning is that wisdom is simply obedience. Wisdom is obedience. James asks, who, who is wise among you? And he says, by your good conduct, let him show this with the Meekness of wisdom. 
James starts and he says, and he, he brings this, this concept of wisdom forward. And, and to understand this passage, you need to understand what the context is and what he means with wise and understanding. Because that will, will shape the whole text for you. You see, the Collins English Dictionary tells us that wisdom is the ability to use, and there's the important word, use the knowledge and experience in order to make sensible judgments and decisions. Godly wisdom is this. Godly wisdom is the right use of the knowledge of God's word and will in your life. So wisdom is, a, is very closely linked to knowledge. And the difference between knowledge and wisdom is this. Knowledge is when you acquire information. Knowledge is when you go to a course and you learn something new. It's when you read your Bible, you're gaining knowledge. It's when you go to, to varsity and you study to be a doctor, you're gaining knowledge. But wisdom is when you take that knowledge and you start to apply it into your life. And it starts to impact the decisions you make and the, and the actions that you take. You see, the tradition, Jewish tradition would have understood exactly what James was meaning here. You see, the Greeks who were sitting in that church as he was speaking would have, would have understood wisdom to simply mean knowledge. But the Jews understood what, they, what wisdom was. Wisdom was always about your ability to know God and to allow that knowledge of God to determine the decisions that you make. I was, as you look at um, Solomon, the most wise man in the world, you know, when he asked God for wisdom, he, this is, listen to what he said. Listen to his understanding of wisdom. In 1 Kings 3.9, he says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind. Give him knowledge and the ability to understand that knowledge, an understanding mind. To do what? To govern your people. So I'm going to, God, give me the ability to get knowledge, to understand knowledge, so that I can use that knowledge to govern people. That I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this great people? You see, Solomon's request wasn't, Lord, would you just give me wisdom so that I would be wise? His request was, God, give me the ability to have knowledge, understand that knowledge, and then use that knowledge to bless your people. And God said to him, instead of asking for riches and that, I will make you the wisest man that there's ever been, and there'll be none as wise as you ever again. You see, this is why James says, if you want to show your wisdom, show it in your conduct. That's why he says in verse 13, by his good conduct, let him show his works. You see, wisdom is not what you say. Wisdom is not what you think. Wisdom is not what you read. Wisdom is what you do. And so if you want to see whether a person has wisdom in their life, you look at their lives. You look at the fruit of their life. Because in their conduct, you will see how much wisdom they have. How many times have you met somebody that sounds very wise, but their, their life is in absolute disorder? Best you not take too much wisdom from them. <laughs> you see, wisdom has got nothing to do with age. It's got nothing to do with degrees and learning. It's got nothing to do with position or title or status. It's got everything to do with a heart that's willing to act on what they know. That's what wisdom is all about. 
The NIV says in James 13, exactly the same verse, but it uses a different word. It says, if you are wise in understanding God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life. Do good works. The, the message says, do, what, do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. It is the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Why is this important? Because... To understand this text, you need to understand when James asks you and me, are we wise? He's not asking us about a cognitive ability. He's asking us about a lifestyle. He's asking us, are we living wise lives? And we can see it by our lives. You see, the criteria that you and I should, should ask ourselves, am I wise, is not got to anything to do with what I listed before, but it's got everything to do with what is the state of your life at the moment. Because if it's in disarray and there's confusion and there's disorder and chaos, then you're not wise, then you're being a fool. I mean that lovingly. <laughs> what is your life like? And how much wisdom is there in your life? You see, Jesus adds, in Matthew 7, 25, to this concept, and he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words, there's the acquisition of knowledge. Everyone who hears these words, there's the gaining of knowledge of mine. And he puts them into practice. He takes this knowledge and he lives this knowledge. What's that man? He's a wise man. So James tells us that it's about lifestyle. That it's about the way you live. And it's about acquiring knowledge and it's about the way you live. But Jesus tells us that that knowledge we need is his words. It's his words. We need the knowledge of God's word and God and his will to be able to live lives of wisdom in this world. An absence of that knowledge leaves you with no hope. You see, the key to godly living is this. Understanding God's word. Understanding God's will. And then taking that and living that out in your life, that's godly wisdom. That's a wise man. You see, the, we often think that wisdom comes upon us. Don't you often think like that? Lord, I need wisdom right now. Okay. Lord, show me now, right now. I need it now, right now. And I think the Holy Spirit does respond to us right there in the moment by leading us to the Word of God and bring something to heart of what the Word teaches on a subject. But this is not what James is teaching at all. What James is referring to is that when you and I want to live wisdom-filled lives, you and I gain the knowledge of the Word, we gain the knowledge of God's will, and we are committed and dedicated to live every part of that into every circumstance and every situation into our lives. That's the wisdom that James is teaching us about. Let me give you a couple of examples. You want to be a doctor, you will go and learn knowledge from the medical fraternity that are experts so that you can, when you put that into practice, you'll be a wise doctor. The same as a teacher. You see, when you want to be a teacher, you go and learn from great teachers. You learn from, from experts in the field so that when you are doing it, that you can apply what you've learned and you become a wise teacher. Well, when you want to do well in life and you want to live this life successfully, prosperously, and with God's blessing over it, then why don't you go to the one who created this life? 
and find out exactly how he wants you to live it. And then live that out because then you'll find blessing and wisdom in this life. You see, foolishness is nothing to do with being dumb or stupid or dull. Foolishness has got everything to do with disobedience. I'm going to say that again. Foolishness has got nothing to do with being dumb or dull or, or not the sharpest tool in the shed. Foolishness has got everything to do with disobedience. Let me show you why is, why is that. Because Jesus tells us again in Matthew 7, 26, but everyone who hears these words, so there's the acquiring of knowledge, the attaining of information of mine, and does not put them into practice as a fool. And so we see this picture that Jesus begins to, that Jesus paints for us. And he says, the difference between a fool and a, and a wise man is not that the fool doesn't have the information. The fool has got the information. The fool just doesn't do it. And so the first point is this. Wisdom is all about obedience. You want to be wise in your life? You want to live a life where you, where you have godly wisdom that guides you in all 35,000 decisions that you need to make? Then we, we have to make a decision in our hearts that we're going to diligently acquire the knowledge we need, which is this. And we're going to live it out. Because the Bible says that's wisdom. And I'll show you later what, what the fruit of that is. The second point this morning is that meekness enables wisdom. Now, meekness isn't a word that we use a lot in our modern English. Meekness. Many people would define, or, or if I say meekness, would think that it's got to do with weakness. You know, it's, it's, that's the character. But it's really got nothing to do with uh, weakness. In fact, most commentators who, who, who've written on this verse use the same analogy, the, the analogy of a horse. You know, a horse is powerful. A horse can do what it wants. But if you put a bit in the horse's mouth and you've got these reins, you can control it. It's tame. If it's tame, you can control it. And, and you can direct where it goes. And that's the picture of meekness. You see, meekness means that you and I have got absolute power and control to make whatever decision we want. You know, here's some, some real information for you. You can decide whatever you want for whatever decision that you make. It's really up to you. God's given us free will. But meekness is an understanding that although I can do whatever I want, I would rather submit that will under the will of God and do what He wants. You see, when you unpack that picture of the horse, you see, we are that horse. We are the, the free-roaming horse that can do whatever we want. But the minute we have the bit of the Word in our mouths and the Holy Spirit that is directing us through the, the reins and the Word of God, then we as that horse have a choice to buck and do our own thing or to submit to the leading and the guiding of our rider. And that's what meekness is. You see, every time you and I get to a decision, every time we get to a decision, particularly the big decisions of our lives, we do have the opportunity to make whatever decision we want. We can use whatever facts we want. We can use whatever information we get from, from whoever, wherever. But the real question is, if you want wisdom in your life, meekness will bring it. Because meekness will tell you, and meekness will guide you, that although I can do whatever I want, although I've seen all this information, although all my friends say this, although whoever, Oprah and Dr. Phil, I don't even know who they are anymore, say all these things. I've read all these books, self-help books, 
all of this information. But what does the Word of God say? And I'm making a decision today that I'll do what the Word of God says. That's why meekness will help you to become wise. You see, Jesus is the example of this. In Matthew 26, 36 to 42 is the, the story of, the, of Gethsemane. And Jesus is, is we know that, he, he's, he's, he's praying and he's asking God, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And, and he's pleading with God and he's wrestling with God because there's a challenge before him, the cross. And there sits his free will because Jesus could have called 10,000 angels to assist him through that process. But he shows us how meekness works. Where Although he had all the power to change that situation in the blink of an eye, he says, God, although I can do all this stuff, my choice is your will, not mine. Your will, not mine. You see, it's okay to, to say, oh, but that's Jesus because, you know, the fruit of that decision was salvation. Imagine Jesus decided to follow his own will there. Where would we be today? But let me give a few examples in our lives. You know, when people hurt us and we're struggling to forgive them, and you go to the Word of God, and the Word of God says to you that you should be forgiving and loving. Pray for those that persecute you. Pray for those, bless those that, that persecute, that, that come against you. And so you sit with this information and you go before God and you say, God, I'm hurting. I don't know what to do. I'm angry. And the word of God is, is guiding you towards forgiveness. Meekness will tell you, go with the word of God. Wisdom will tell you, go with the word of God. Worldliness will tell you, go with what you feel. Go with what, what you want to do. You retaliate. The wisdom tells you, leave it in God's hands. He will, he will fight your cause for you. The world will tell you, no, no, you go and sort it out. And you sort them out. And, and, and that's an example where we sit every day of our lives. As we deal with the issues of life. You see, the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of the Word. The Holy Spirit's going to remind you of what, what the Word of God teaches you. In meekness, we should submit to that. It's very easy in theory as I'm speaking it. But I know and you know it's very tough in practice. Because sometimes we just want to do what we want to do. The problem is, is that we, we reap what we sow. And what James is encouraging us is rather sow wisdom. I mean, reap wisdom. Sow obedience, sow meekness, reap peace. The choice is ours. He then moves on in the, in, from verse 14 all the way through to verse 18. And he gives us an opportunity to self-evaluate. So he has your opportunity to self-evaluate. To work out what is the most prominent wisdom that you use in your life. Is it worldly wisdom or is it godly wisdom? He writes in verse 14, he says, But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder of every vile practice. 
You see, he shows us three things. What motivates this kind of wisdom? What characterizes this kind of wisdom? And what is the fruit of this wisdom? You see, wisdom of this world, earthly wisdom, which is what he's talking about here, is based on man's own understanding. It's based on our knowledge and what we think is right or wrong. It's based on what our standards are. It's based on what our objectives are. Wisdom like this is false and it's ungodly because it doesn't recognize God. It exalts itself higher than God. You see, James tells us that what motivates this kind of wisdom is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. In fact, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 3 tells us that many times as unspiritual believers we behave like this. He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you milk, not solid food, for where you were not ready. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? You see, when our decisions are solely driven by what's in it for me, when it's self-centered, self-seeking, self-glorifying, when our decisions are because we're not content with what we have, and we want what others have, when we're only looking out for ourselves, when we don't worry about the impact that our decisions have on people, then it's earthly wisdom. Then it's earthly, false wisdom. You see, this kind of wisdom divides. This kind of wisdom says there has to be a winner and a loser. This kind of wisdom says that if I'm going for a promotion at work, I better make sure that I show up how poor my competitor is so that I will win that promotion. You see, wisdom says that I will love that person, support them because God's the one who promotes. Can you see the difference? You see, whenever we sit at a decision and it's about I must win, somebody else must lose, it should be the first indicator that this isn't what God wants for me. When you're sitting making a decision and it's all about what you want and you couldn't care what other people want and how it's going to impact their life, it's a sure indicator that this isn't what God wants for you. If you're sitting at a decision and, and there's jealousy raging within you because you want what they have and you'll do anything just to have that, it's a sure indicator that it's the wrong wisdom operating in your life. You see, he says don't boast when you are like that because that, that's not from God. The characteristics he uses, he uses three words. He says they are earthly. In this um, translation, I think it says unspiritual in the ESV, but some of the Bibles say sensual. And then it says it's demonic. What, what do those three words mean? Well, earthly is simple. Wisdom that is all about this temporal earth is earthly. If you're making decisions... And money is a good example. You know, if all your money decisions are just about how you're going to live, what's going to happen to you, what about your retirement, and that's all you think about, then all of that is driven by a worldly, earthly understanding and wisdom. But when you start to see that your money, if you use it for the glory of God, that you're storing up treasures in heaven, then it becomes heavenly wisdom. Because it's not about this earth which is temporal, it's about the eternity of heaven. The second word he uses is that wisdom is sensual or unspiritual. It's an interesting word. I don't have the time to get into it, but it's, got, it's linked to Genesis. And it's got to do with our animal instinct. That within us is this natural animal instinct. Have you ever made decisions just because in the moment, or just in the moment, 
You had this instinct, animal instinct. I want that goof. And you take it. See, that's what he's talking about. We often see this in sexual sin. We often, often see, see that kind of thing when, when people, uh, crimes of passion, <laughs> it's probably the right word, where something just instinctively rises, an animal instinct, a passion, a desire. You can't control it. It just takes over. He says that kind of wisdom is false wisdom. If you're making decisions and there's this animal instinct that just drives it, that's a sure indicator to you that that's not what God wants for you. And that's not the, not the best thing for you. The third one is demonic. Another interesting word. In James 2.20, James in chapter 2 verse 20 says that even the demons know and believe God and shudder. It's a similar word. So what's the point here? It's an, interest, it's an interesting point here. It means to behave demon-like. Okay, how do you behave demon-like when you have the knowledge and you don't do it? Because that's what he said in James 2. They had the knowledge of God. They had believed in God, but they didn't do it by putting their faith in him. You see, we behave demon-like when we know the truth, we reject it, and do what is, what is the wisdom of man in our lives. That's wrong. Not what God wants for us. You see, the results of worldly wisdom or earthly wisdom, James tells us, is disorder and evil, every vile practice. Disorder. Disorder simply means unstable, confusion, disarray. And in James 1.8, remember when James said that when you need wisdom, you can call on to God. But if you don't use that wisdom, you are like a man, a double-minded man who's unstable in all his ways. You see, when we decide to use earthly man's wisdom, the fruit of that wisdom is confusion and instability in your life. It doesn't bring peace. It brings disorder. And that's what James is warning us against. You know, as people of God, this thought came to me. How privileged we are. How privileged are we to know God? How privileged are we in this life that we live to have the Word of God? How privileged are we that, that the choice for wisdom and peace sits in our hands with our liveless? If you're unsaved, don't believe in God, you don't even have that option. Your life is probably going to be characterized generally by disorder, confusion. Because all you have to, to rely on is the wisdom of man. But we, as God's children, have the, have the gift of wisdom from God through His Word. The question is, would we just live it? Put it into practice? Godly wisdom, from verse 17, he says, But, for, but the wisdom from above is first pure. And that's the motive. Then peaceful or peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is, shown, is sown in peace by those who make peace. You see, godly wisdom is not from man, it's from God. Godly wisdom is eternal, not temporal. Godly wisdom can only be attained through a relationship with God. And the leading of the Holy Spirit. 
2 Corinthians 1, 30, 1 to 3 says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Listen to this. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You and I will never have godly wisdom if we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. All wisdom comes from Christ. Christ is the truth. He is, doesn't sometimes act in truth. He is truth. When he came to earth, he personified wisdom and truth. And so the only way that you and I find wisdom is by finding him. And determining to live like him. In all his truth. You see, the motivation is pure. You see, when earthly wisdom, the motivation was selfish. It was about me. But you see, godly wisdom is pure motivation. Every decision that you make has a pure conscience before, before God and before man. Every decision you make isn't about who must win or lose. It's about we all win. What's best for us? What's best for all of us? What's best for my whole family in this decision? What's best for my whole workplace in this decision? What's best for this guy that, that stole from me in this decision? What's best? That's pure. That's the motivation of godly wisdom. Matthew 7, 12 says to us, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, also do to them. There's our God. Do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. Wisdom will ask that question. How would they want me to act if I was them? It's about others, not about yourself. The characteristics of godly wisdom. Earthly wisdom was earthly and, and, and unspiritual, essential, demonic. But godly wisdom is peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and gifts good fruits, impartial and sincere. There's two things that I noticed here. The first one is, doesn't it sound a little bit like the fruit of the Spirit? Doesn't it sound a little bit that wisdom is somewhere entwined with the fruit of the Spirit? What, what, what do we take from that? That if you let the Spirit lead your life, you'll probably walk in wisdom. If you let the Holy Spirit lead your life, you'll probably walk in wisdom. Because the Holy Spirit will always take you to the Word of God for the answers that you need in life. And what I've just explained to you is that James is teaching us that it's this that brings wisdom to your life. So the Holy Spirit will lead you here. And the fruit of your life would probably be all that is mentioned here and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The second point, doesn't it sound like Jesus? Doesn't that sound just like Jesus? The characteristics of Christ? You see, wisdom is a desire you want to be Christ-like. Wisdom is when I have to make a decision is to, you know, we always joke about, we used to joke years ago about what said Jade, uh, what, what would Jesus do? What is that? What would WWJD? That's exactly what wisdom is. In the situation that I face right now, how would Jesus have responded to this? There's my guide on where wisdom sits because Christ is wisdom. Christ is wisdom. James is showing us that the characteristics of godly wisdom is a desi desire to make decisions to be like Christ and to let the Holy Spirit lead you.
that will lead you to wisdom in your life. Opposed to, to worldly wi wisdom, which is demon-like and not Christ-like, and is led by man and not the Holy Spirit. The results of wisdom is simple. It's a harvest of righteousness which is sown in peace. You see, the fruit of godly wisdom in your life is peace and, and stability. Not more money <laughs> might come. But the harvest of a godly, wise person is a stable and peaceful life. Oh, how we would love that, isn't it? Man, wouldn't it be wonderful that you could live a stable and peaceful life in the midst of everything that's going on in this world? One Corinthians twelve thirty three says, "For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace." You see, if God is in your decisions, then you'll have peace in your life. I was thinking about, and I want to use this as an example uh, because it's topical. Um, that story of that young guy who did the art piece in Kira, I don't know, somewhere in Eastern Cape, I think it was. Um, Richards Bay. No, it's nowhere near the Eastern Cape. Eh? I was thinking a lot about it as it was happening because I was saying, Lord, what's wisdom? What's wisdom in the situation? Now, if I had to take that situation and I had to bring it into what I've just preached to you today, what would it look like? Well, the first question is, what would Jesus have done? Would he have turned tables because of the Pharisees or would he have shown grace and mercy like he did to those that crucified him and said, God, forgive them for they know not what they're doing? I think it's the latter. I think he would have seen a young man hurting, confused, angry. We needed to see the love of the church and the love of God. And so wisdom would have told us that peace is the way to go here. And it's to show love and to work hard at bringing peace to that young man and the church and a God that loves him. That would have been wisdom. And I use that example not to say maybe, I don't know how you responded, not to, I'm not trying to, but I'm trying to show you how to practically let wisdom into your life. Because it will make different, your, you will make different decisions in everything that you face. I want to conclude this morning with Proverbs 9.10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You and I need a reverent fear of God. It doesn't mean that you're scared of God. It just means that you know that God is much cleverer and much wiser. And that's probably best that you follow him, him and what he says and doing your own thing. You see, that's where wisdom starts. When you and I know that the only way that I can have wisdom in this life is to go to the one that created life. Learn from him. Understand and get insight from Him, which is this word that we have today.
Determine in your heart to live it. Determine it in your heart so that that would guide you in every decision that you make. That you'll be led by the Holy Spirit. That you want to be Christ-like in everything you do. The fruit of that would be peace and stability in your life. What the Bible calls godly wisdom. You see, the only criteria that you and I have according to the word of God, to whether we walk in wisdom is this. Do you obey what you know about God? If your answer is yes, then you are wise and you're walking in wisdom. If your answer is no, you're being a fool. And God is appealing to you to walk in wisdom. The only thing we search for is the knowledge of our God through His word to give us wisdom for this life.